This podcast is supported by Apollo Global Management. Ensuring a brighter, bolder future means investing in tomorrow, today. That's why Apollo is financing solutions to some of the world's most complex challenges. Learn more at Apollo.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to At Barron's. I'm Andy Serwer, and welcome to our guest, Ann Mather, who is a board member of Netflix, Blend, Bumble, former CFO at Pixar, former board member at Alphabet and Airbnb and other companies as well. Great to see you, Anne. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. It's a real pleasure to be here. So your career is basically sort of at the nexus of entertainment and technology. And I'm curious, how do you describe what you do currently? That's a good question. Um, pretty much using those words, many of those words, you know, I say that um, I focus on media and tech, um, that I try to add value in as many ways as possible um, to as many companies that are a good fit for me, usually on the board, um, but, I, but I do advise um, occasionally as well, um, and try to bring everything that I've experienced to date um, in my life um, to, the, to them. You know, I've also had over 20 years board experience now. So that, that's, that's been um, really, really great. You're a financial person. That's your background. We'll get into that a little bit. But I want to ask you about technology and media, those two businesses. In some senses, they're very complementary. On the other hand, they're also at odds with each other. How would you describe that dynamic? Um, Ever-changing. Um, I don't think anyone can become complacent and think that they know what's going to be happening. Um, it's one of the things I, um, I love about Reed Hastings. Um, he is uh, super focused on... From Netflix. Yeah, sorry, uh, CEO, uh, ex now a chair of Netflix. Right. Um, very focused, uh, as uh, are the current CEOs, um, Ted and Greg, on what's happening next, what the potential threats is too strong a word. Um, competition for eyeballs are. So I, I think it's this enormous um, platform, um, you know, involving games. We've, we've started doing games on Netflix, uh, involving dating apps. You know, arguably, Bumble is something of a competitor for the, for the eyeball space that might otherwise be spent um, on, um, on Netflix search. People spend time on search, but, but and in some respects, that's mildly entertaining. The impact that AI will have on all these things uh, as well is, I think, um, we're on the verge of not quite sure what, what could happen, but it's, it's super exciting. When Hollywood changes like this, a lot of times they'll co-opt the new influences, but this looks sort of bigger than that. I mean, it looks like Hollywood as we know it is maybe changing forever, no more theatrical, the cable bundle is going away. Is that something that will really affect our lives or uh, is it something that is just evolving organically and it's not that big a deal? Yeah, um, I think a little bit of both. I think it's evolving organically, but I think it will potentially affect our lives in a very positive way. I don't think Theaters are going to go away completely, but I think they're maybe going to become a little bit more event-driven. And they've been going that way for a while. Um, I don't really see that changing too much. Um, to be economically sustainable, I, I, I don't quite know what will happen with theater chains. Um, 
potentially they'll become more flexible. Potentially we'll start doing different things in there as well. Um, I think just to justify the costs of um, the real estate, um, it needs to develop a little bit. I think it's fascinating what Taylor Swift is doing. And I could totally see them becoming more uh, significant venues for live sports events, um, concerts, uh, you know, summaries of concert tours like Taylor's. So I, I think those are all good things. They add um, to the drama of being in a large room with a bunch of other people. Um, so I, I, think that, I think that's good. And I think the range of product, entertainment product, that we're going to be able to see is going to expand dramatically. Um, AI is a big democratizing force in many ways in terms of it giving the opportunity for people that might not otherwise have had it to put together an entertainment product for way less money, way less resources. Ultimately, mm. I'm not saying we're there yet, but, but over time, I, I think it could be that. But are, should we be concerned about copyright? I mean, you're going to be taking someone's image. You have someone in a garage taking images and putting them together. How I do we govern that? I don't think that's what will happen. I, I think it's far more likely um, that images will be self-generated. I do think the copyright stuff, it's a challenge, but not so much when it comes to entertainment product. Um, there'll be enough tools to screen for inappropriate usage. Um, I think there'll be enough people licensing there. But what if we make, what if I'm in my garage and I make an image of a pop singer who looks very much like Taylor Swift? How, do, how does Taylor Swift protect herself from that? I think, as I said, I think there's enough tools to, mm. to make that fairly, I, I mean, it'll be a tested in the courts, yeah. but I feel that that's something I'm less worried about. I think what's far more likely to happen is that that person in the garage is going to make a really cool movie about the girl next door who's got her own band, mm. who's doing her own thing, because there there's no conflict. Um, as we've seen with social media, it, people like to present themselves in this way. So I, I think these things are just going to become a little bit more creative. There's going to be more access to developing people's own storylines, to presenting things in a, in a more creative way using AI. And I don't really see, there, there are obviously going to be some people that, that do things like that, but I, I don't see that being the main driver of this industry going forward. Instead, I see it much more um, creator-driven, original creator-driven, and promotion of people that would otherwise not have had an opportunity. Is that what makes you most excited about AI, Anne? And, and so talk about that, and then also what are you most concerned about with AI? Yeah, starting with the most concerned, it's, it's all the obvious stuff. You know, I'm terrified of what it can be done negatively. Um, and I, I do think most of the people in Silicon Valley that um, I've, I've worked with, talked to, and, it, and it's vast, it's certainly not just um, Alphabet, are super nervous um, about the potential for bad um, and do feel it's something that should be regulated the most controversial aspect of that that I really don't want to go into is whether or not it should be open source. Um, there's a perspective that if it's open source, uh, all hell could break loose, and it, it's really stuff we don't want to, to mess with. There's another perspective that if it's not open source, we're creating another you know, equivalent of the telecoms where you've got four or five players, and it's very frustrating, and they hold people to ransom. Um, I'm not completely sure where I come down on either of those sides yet. I think it's an evolving force. I don't know enough um, about the benefits of open source. I'm veering towards um, non-open source, but that's more lack of 
deep knowledge than um, mm -hmm. than anything else. So that was the uh, that was the negative. Um, and then in terms of the opportunities, I do see it as uh, a great potential for democratization, for giving skill sets to people that might not otherwise have them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think as a society, we ought to acknowledge that and think deeply about what it means for education. It's all very well to have these things out there, but if people aren't taught how to use them properly, what they can do with them, and I do worry a little bit that right now it, it's potentially preserved amongst people that don't really need it. And what about personalization, which I know is something you've been keen on. How does AI come into play with personalization? I think it gives everyone fantastic opportunity to develop um, their own creative selves and you know to make things um, deeply personalized. Obviously, in a um, with an app like Bumble, um, we're super excited. It, it allows us um, the potential to create a very personalized profile very easily. You know, AI can find out just a little bit about you. And, and can really work with the minimum. We can make it very easy with prompts. Um, it can help select which, po which photos are most likely to attract the right person. Mm -hmm. It's going to be particularly relevant for, for men's profiles, frankly. <laughs> you know, there are too many with dead fish that don't necessarily work well. Really? Yeah, yeah. so the guys would need AI on dating apps more than women? I think in terms of selecting which photographs, if they're prepared to upload their library and have AI run through the photos available, um, I certainly feel um, the AI is likely to choose um, a photo that's going to both best represent who they are and represent them in the best light. And people don't always know that, especially, oh, yeah. especially men, frankly. Frankly, <laughs> okay. Um, speaking of personalization, I'm wondering if you're concerned with all the personalization that's going on, if we lose this notion of a collective experience so that you know, 30 years ago we all watched the same TV show and then we could all talk about it and it became sort of a national phenomenon. I'm sure there's downside to that, maybe homogeneity, cultural homogeneity. But what do we lose with that, Anne? Yeah, um, I, I, I hear you. I don't think we've actually lost it. I think some of the biggest shows of all time are happening globally um, with a streamer like Netflix. We might not all watch it as a family at the same time, but I do feel, um, if anything, we're getting broader and broader um, wide access to particular shows, and it's not just in one country. Um, the crown might be as successful in India as it is here. I, there are lots of other, you know, examples. Wednesday, um, you know, the Adams Family derivative that was on um, Netflix, fantastic, um, appeals to teens globally, and you know, some of their parents. In my case, I, I thought it was you know, a really great show. Um, I, I think at the same time, so you've still got this this factor going on. You've got the opportunity to use theaters for events that aren't necessarily theaters. Live sporting, not live sporting events. You know, playback mm -hmm. of sporting events opera. that are going. Yeah, opera, a whole bunch of different things, um, as well as people going off and doing their own thing. Um, I, I think as a as a species, we do have the need mm -hmm. to um, to come together, um, and I think this opens up more and more opportunities to come together in different ways, and yet to also foster individualism as well in a positive way. Does that play into releasing shows in a binge fashion versus weekly, do you think? 
you know, at Netflix we like people You've to be binge. able <laughs> to you're really. You're the binge company. <laughs> HBO now called Max is, has the different strategy generally. Yeah, um, and, and I can see with um, a straight financial hat on, if one's more limited um, with resources and is concerned about losing subscribers, I could easily see an argument for weekly release. It, mm -hmm. it sort of does keep people glued to you a little bit longer. Um, a company like Netflix, we have such a great breadth of product um, and we feel it's a competitive advantage that people can get really immersed in shows as opposed to watching it one week. You know, then maybe the next week when it comes out, they're doing something else. They might sort of forget about it. We find it's it's actually good for the show for people to immerse themselves. It's a completely different watching experience. So I I think you know I I'm in favor, although I I frequently question whether we're losing subscribers by just giving it all in one <laughs> in one batch. Um, and we are you're starting to see we are spreading it out. Like you know, Stranger Things might have a bunch of episodes um, at one part of the year. And rather than you know, releasing all 12 or whatever it is at one time, we might do six in uh, you know, month three, uh, another six in month seven, something like that. It's, it's an evolving process, depends on the product, depends on what else we've got in the lineup as well, frankly. Fascinating, and the, the discussions at the board level must be, must be really interesting there, I'm sure. They are so fascinating, and it, it is such a well-run board. It is, um, Probably the most transparent company. That's not to say that any there's any problem with any of the other companies, but we see at Netflix such a detailed um, amount of data on on what's going on. We have a very thick board memo, and we can drill down to all of the underlying data points. It's tremendously interesting. This podcast is supported by Apollo Global Management. As one of the world's largest alternative asset managers, Apollo is generating investment-grade credit, providing greater access to more resilient and diverse pools of capital, and helping to fill gaps in America's financial ecosystem. Learn more at apollo.com slash private credit. I want to ask you about another company that you worked at, though, Pixar, and yeah. you were the CFO there yeah. reporting to Steve Jobs. I, what was it like to work for Steve, particularly as a financial person? I loved it, frankly. <laughs> it was um, Steve, no question, Steve felt he added value by critiquing wherever he could, uh, and I respect that. Um, I don't have a problem with someone who likes to look for as many holes as possible. In, in situations, um, I think that is where um, much value is added to try to look for what could go wrong. Um, understanding that about Steve, I would, um, if I had something that I felt was important for Pixar to move forward with, and as CFO, I was responsible largely for distribution as well with Steve. We were distributed by Disney at the time that I was CFO. There were many issues uh, at that point in time. It was, um, Disney uh, was a different, uh, operation than it is now um, and you know frankly there were times when we, we really weren't getting a fair deal um, we'd strategize together um, but I'd usually work with Steve I'd put all of my um, arguments why I wanted to do something on a piece of paper pre uh, pre anticipate what he would say uh, the holes he would pick um, put down some mitigating responses email him so that he had I usually emailed him right before 
right before dinner. He'd take six o'clock to eight o'clock every night to have dinner with his family. And then um, eight o'clock, he'd call me and, and we'd go through the list. And I usually, if I'd presented it properly, it was a very smooth and easy call um, and we'd get done really quickly. If I tried to have a conversation explaining that, it was difficult. Steve's so fast in the, you know, in the way he responds and the things he thinks of. It can be challenging um, to get back as quickly as he is getting back to you. Um, so it, there was a way of working with Steve that I personally loved, um, but I don't know that everybody got to that. Right. Shifting gears, are we going to have three internets going forward, Europe, America, and China? Oh, that's a really interesting question. I don't really think so. Um, I, and I don't want to get into the geopolitics, because it's definitely not my field. Um, I do feel, ultimately, there are going to be enough forces um, at play that they, I feel 20 years from now, they'll have come together, or whatever the replacement is, um, will have come together. Um, I, I can see why that seems a ridiculously optimistic perspective at this point in time. Um, but I think it's going to be very hard to completely separate and police all of those. And ultimately, particularly when it comes to um, the Americas and Europe, I don't think it's what the consumer wants. Um, and with the progression of technology, I, I don't know how long it's going to be absolutely enforceable in China. We'll see. What about TikTok? Threat? Great company that all young people should be using? It's intriguing. Um, it's, it's brilliant, no question. Um, the impact it's had on, on commerce, on advertising, on so many different things. Um, I am unsure about how I feel. You know, I'm not a big fan of legislation in this arena, but I would understand um, if it was decided that it's not good to have. Um, I don't really think it helps society that much other than inspiring creativity in, in young people. Um, there is something to be said for that. Um, and it feels a little less um, fraught with the negativity that can come with some types of, of social media. It, it seems more fun and entertaining. So I can see, I can see the, uh, the potential upsides. There's, there's something there there, I, I think, Probably here, people would feel more comfortable um, if there was a better understanding of the underlying technology and, and how it relates to whatever's going on in, you know, in China, and potentially, ultimately, some controls on, on what the feed is, is doing. Speaking of young people, how do we enable young people with technology and also protect young people from technology? Yeah, I think education is the key, um, and I don't think we do a brilliant job on that. Um, tough to know how to improve. Um, I, I think being very, very open um, about how manipulated people are on the web, and, and always will be, um, and I think that's okay. I mean, the world has been manipulated by advertising for a long time now. Um, it's more subtle on the web, particularly when it comes to um, young people. Um, so I, I don't think we're, we're there yet. I think limiting um, the amount or the, the things that young people can watch is frankly a good idea. I do feel we don't do a great job at 
protecting them. Um, I'm supportive um, and mildly optimistic about the potential for AI to help filter out some of those things. Um, as far as enabling, um, I, I think they're pretty good about accessing anything that gives them the dopamine hit. So there's a great, you know, they're, they're constantly on social media type um, options that people have spent a lot of time crafting to be very attractive. I wish we spent a bit more time as a society trying to use those techniques to um, apply across broader academic subjects. I think there's a lot of room um, to improve the way we teach. Mm -hmm. And final question, Anne. You are a, a singular person in that you're a woman from England who came to the United States and succeeded at the highest levels both in Hollywood and Silicon Valley. You're what, too kind, by what, the way. Well, no, it's, <laughs> those you. things are all true. What drove you? Whoa, that's a good question. Um, I have always just wanted to do the absolute best I can, be the absolute best I can. I think it started with that. Um, try to do things that um, are actually interesting and fun to do, uh, and media obviously fits that very easily, very accessible, uh, stimulating. Frankly, at the time that I entered media, it was a little bit nepotistic. So to come in um, as a, you know, on a meritocracy type basis, it, it was really full of opportunity because <laughs> a whole lot of, the competition wasn't that tough, frankly. I think that's changed. Uh, now, but that helped me enormously. Um, being very driven, being very open to going in, uh, just taking whatever was the next best step, constantly trying to maximize my choices moving forward, and not sticking around when things became static, frankly, as well. I think you need to know when to, when to move. And Mather, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Andy. It's great talking. This is At Barron's. I'm Andy Serwer. We'll catch you next time. The production team for At Barron's is Ellie Ismailadu, Rebecca Bisdale, Kinga Rojak, Joe Lusby, and Laura Salaberry. The executive producers are Kristen Bellstrom and Melissa Haggerty. We'll be back with a new episode next week. This podcast is supported by Apollo Global Management. By providing companies with access to flexible financing solutions and partnering with management teams, Apollo is there every step of the way to drive positive outcomes for businesses and power economic growth. Learn more at Apollo.com.